Yeah, so 15, that means um, experimental music shows are still cool, but uh, everyone else has to cancel. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performances, or lack thereof, in Edmonton. My name is Fonda, and um, our co-host Paul is uh, on other isolation business this week. Um, but we do have something special for you. Before we get into it, I want to mention that we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Um, so yeah, what a time we are living in. Uh, of course, we're seeing an unprecedented number of shows being canceled, postponed, uh, some even shifted online. And our guest today is one of the artists whose independent show has been affected by all of this social distancing and COVID-19 related business. So today we are talking to Ben Gorodetsky. Ben is a theater artist, producer, writer, and arts educator. Uh, he's originally from Vancouver, and in 2010, he moved to Edmonton for the BFA acting program at the U of A. And around that same time, he also joined Rapid Fire Theater, and it was there that he um, met his comedy duo partner, Todd Hausman, and they formed Folklords. And since 2014, Folklords has been delighting audiences all over the planet with their mix of physical comedy and folk storytelling, and also recently a very absurd hyper-political sketch series on YouTube, of course, under the same name of Folklords. So for a couple of years also, Ben was the host and curator of Mile Zero Dance's experimental variety show, The Dirt Buffet Cabaret, uh, until he moved to Brooklyn. Uh, and that's where I actually last saw him. And he introduced me to a theater company called The Wooster Group, which was one of the most surreal and insane experiences I've ever really had in a theater seat. Ben's new show, Biblioteca, was scheduled to show here as one of Mile Zero's main stage productions uh, on March 20th and 21st. Um, but of course, alas, how times have changed. Personally, I was pretty sad that this show didn't make it past the shutdown deadline because I was really stoked to see it. Uh, ben is a great mover. Um, the show has a lot of books, and I really love books. Um, and the the act of moving them and uh, being with them in your life. So, um, yeah, I would have really liked to see it. In any case, though, um, as we all know, uh, Biblioteca, along with all other live theater and dance, has been canceled. So for your listening pleasure now from the safety of your home Wi-Fi, everyone, um, I feel like I should ask for applause of some sort when introducing people. So <laughs> if that's available to you, please feel free to give him your hands. Uh, now here's our chat with Ben Gorodetsky. Hi, Ben. Hey, Fonda. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you? I'm pretty good, though. Um, uh, you know, a bit intense, as as everyone else is in the world right now. Uh, but all in all, uh, pretty pretty hunky dory. Yeah. Well. Um. Well, where are you right now? How are you coping in isolation? I'm currently in Kelowna, British Columbia, where I've been teaching um, in the Creative and Critical Studies Department of the University of British Columbia, Okanagan, for the last three months. Um, and in the last two weeks, that teaching has transformed magically into something I never expected nor 
would have, uh, you know, cursed my worst enemies with, which is like trying to teach acting and performance and creative expression classes through um, the internet, which is, <laughs> yeah, not impossible as it turns out, but but certainly, um, certainly with its unique challenges. Yeah, different different than what you signed up for, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so w- I wanted to talk to you um, about the show that was supposed to open here in Edmonton uh, a week or so back, uh, Biblioteca. Can you tell us um, what what was or is still Biblioteca? How did how did the idea for the show come about? Biblioteca is was will be is a performance duet between me and uh, Larissa Poho and in the development, other musicians as well, but basically a duet for one performer and one musician. And it lives somewhere between physical theater, storytelling, performance art, comedy, and um, song. Um, And what it is, is it's my homage or my investigation of books and the value of books and their like physical weight and bulk and also their emotional weight an emotional bulk. Um, my uh, parents immigrated from the Soviet Union, and I was born 10 days after they landed, and there was very few things that they could bring with them mm-hmm. in this sudden and um, um, in lots of ways violent immigration experience. Uh, but books was one of the things that they brought with them. You know, they filled their handbags full of full of these tomes. Yeah, it's it's an uh, incredibly inconvenient thing to immigrate with, but they valued it. And so that value trickled down through my DNA into myself. And so language, um, culture, history, all of that was encapsulated in these like physical artifacts that, that um, my parents praised and that I took that praise and, and built a sort of altar in my mind to books. Um, anyway, so I've got all these like treasure books that I've been carrying around with me and I myself have immigrated a bunch of times. I moved uh, from Edmonton to New York city and we moved all our stuff and like hauled just like mountains and mountains of shit. Lots of which was books, um, (laughs) across international boundaries cost so much money. Um, anyways, so there was these treasure books, but then juxtaposed to that were these like garbage books that I couldn't help, but, um, be delighted by and intrigued by and mesmerized by in Brooklyn because Brooklyn uh, has just like stuff in the street. It's got stuff everywhere. It's full of people. It's full of density, but in amongst the sort of garbage density were these like amazing piles of books that were like basically on every street corner people, when they don't want something, instead of donating it, they just put it in the street because there's enough foot traffic that you pick it up. So I started collecting um, books that sometimes, you know, looked kind of like, um, you know, neighborhood lending libraries or like, you know, someone said free books in a box. And other times it was just like a pile of trash, you know, like a house was being gutted, the owner had died and uh, their life's possessions were out on the curb. And so uh, I collected these books that were very, very, very meaningful to me. And I collected these books that were worthless to someone else, but maybe could still find some meaning for me. Um, And I tried to like, understand what the difference was between a treasure and a piece of garbage and why some words are valuable and some words are not and what the sort of lifespan of stories and of books of these like bound 
bound narratives um, could be. And so I made this um, this performance work that was a series of like games or um, score structures that were about like carrying books and reading from books and improvising oral stories based on written passages of text uh, and trying to understand how stories change when they're written down permanently versus when they float just above your head in this verbal um, permeable state. Anyways, uh, and then Larissa is this extraordinary musician, storyteller, multi-talented artist, and um, she brought a sonic element to all this gameplay. You know, like I, I climb on the books, I make huge towers out of them, I, I stand on it, I fall off, it's like sort of acrobatic, and she creates this like playful score that at times she's leading the action, at times I'm leading the action, at times we're both together, um, performing and improvising together. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's the show. I could go on for an yeah. hour and 20 minutes, which is about how long the show <laughs> used to run. Right, right. Well, we've had and we've had Larissa on the podcast before. Um, she came in and helped us review a Shumka show uh, uh, last season. And then um, and of course, we've seen her as a performer around town, too. She was in Theater Network's Infinity a couple seasons ago. Um, so listeners um, have seen her around before as well. Um, but so your your show had 500 actual books in it, correct? Or, or around well, that you know. That book number fluctuated depending on where I was and how ambitious I was feeling. The run I did in Cologne at the Living Things Festival uh, featured, I think, like 150 books, which, you know, is certifiably a less impressive number than 500. But, dude, they're so fucking heavy. It's so hard to carry that many books and flying around with them. It was just, like, the most self-defeating nonsense to be trying to, like, check three huge bags of luggage of, of like, garbage books that someone didn't want and were trying to throw in the trash. And I convinced the garbage man in the garbage truck not to take them. Anyways, so... I have a hope of one day of doing the, the version of the show where there's a thousand books, but uh, currently it's more like 100, 150. Right, right. Um, and so, the, and this was going to be part of um, Mile Zero season. And, you know, I think it's interesting to be talking about a show like this right now because um, books are such a tactile and physical object. And so much of what we're seeing with art and everything has now just completely moved to a, a virtual space. So, do you think that this biblioteca, like, could it live online at all? Or, or what are your future plans for it? You know, my initial thought was absolutely no, never, not in a million years, because the nature of the show is so anti-technological. There's no amplification, there's no electricity, there's no lights in the show. It's just available lighting, and it's just these books and voices and Lyris's accordion, which is very analog, and Lyris's violin, which is also very analog. It's about, like, physical interactivity, analog interactivity. And that's what I wanted to do, because I was coming out of two years in a master's program uh, creating performance that was very technologically um, influenced, uh, performance and interactive media art was the name of the program I did at Brooklyn College. And so for two years, I was making live streamy video, audio, surround sound, glitch, freak out, you know, mega stuff, spectacle. Uh, and I got really tired of that. And I wanted to pare it down and do the pendular opposite of that and, and make something that was so analog. And so certainly in the conception and execution and performance of the show there has never been a thought of live streaming or of technology 
But, you know, the longer I sit in my basement suite, the more I'm like, hey, maybe I could do a live stream. Maybe Larissa could just, we could do it remotely from two different places. I don't know. I, I, I'm an improviser by nature, and so I'm ready to, like, roll with the given circumstances of shit's all crazy right now, and maybe you have to just do it via webcam. I, I basically haven't, haven't committed to doing that yet. I'm also trying to get through the semester and not lose my mind um, being the primary caregiver to a toddler, my two-year-old son, Gus, who's now not in daycare anymore. And so it hasn't been on my mind, but I bet in three weeks' time when I got more more space for my brain, I might conceive of a way to put it on the internet. That being said, so many of these live streams are, are bad, and I'm not trying to be a grumpy Gus about it, but like production values and visual media demands a different kind of aesthetic than what's possible with the like overloaded internet today and people's basic understanding of, of video. True, so true, I wonder yeah. if, if I'd be doing a disservice to the work or if, and who would care if, is it like just for my mom who had already seen it? Cause I did it in Vancouver too. Uh, right after we did it in Kelowna, we took it to Vancouver for one show, which was great. It had like um, lots of Russian speakers in the uh, audience because my parents brought people from their community, and that uh, was the first time because I talk lots of Russian or speak lots of Russian in the show, and and I mm. tell lots of stories about the Soviet Union and these sort of like oral histories, disappearing histories of uh, of my family and of my. Anyways, it was so strange to do it to in front of people who could understand the Russian instead of having it just be like wonderful mumbo jumbo, you know, soundscape. Uh, <laughs> sidebar. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, so tell me about um, the when the decision was made to cancel the show. How how did it come about? Did you sort of see it coming, or was it very sudden for you? Um, my wife Lisa Farlow, formerly of Rapid Fire Theater, uh, said to me, "I can't remember what, yeah, I can't remember the sequencing of it, but you know th- those first few days into pandemic mode, it felt like everything changed." by the hour and then by the minute and and she suggested she's like should you think about maybe not going to edmonton and i sort of scoffed i was like are you kidding me the show must go on you know we got we got abstract performance art to show um and then like by the next morning just looking at the news and feeling the um vibe (laughs) the zeitgeist i emailed jerry who was at the time vacationing jerry marita of mile zero she was vacationing in jamaica i was like hey jerry like uh what's what's the scoop like should we cancel the show is like is it viable to proceed is it ethical to ask people to gather and she was like "Ah, i think it's it's fine for now i mean we're monitoring it mile zero is like not canceling anything but we're looking at it if you want to cancel it if you feel unsafe traveling if you're at risk in any other way we can do it but you know like you should do that sooner rather than later and then i was like okay well i mean let's just like sit and wait and then i think i lasted all of like half a day or maybe a day and i was emailing with her and kelly ruth the gm at mile zero um and eventually seeing other um performance groups and, and theaters and comedy people first in new york and then in vancouver you know you have this like network of different bubbles it seemed like edmonton wasn't yet canceling stuff but vancouver was canceling stuff wholesale and new york was already mm-hmm. a week into everything's canceled and i was like oh i think I, th- I think it's moving towards bad this is not good and this is not right and so i pulled the trigger but then kelly wrote me back the next morning was like oh i'm glad you said it first because i was i was getting ready to wake up 
today and say we have to do it. We have to call it. Um, and yeah, so that that's been, you know it's probably like three days of two and a half days of hemming and hawing and thinking and emailing. I also emailed Matt Sherman of Rapid Fire Theater and was like, "Are you guys still doing shows? Like, what's the?" What's mm-hmm. the vibe? What do you think? And he said, we're still doing it. We've reduced capacity, yada, yada, yada. But then, of course, you know, now on March uh, 27, when we're recording this, they've already been closed for a while and everyone's closed and everything's canceled and we're all we're all staring at our computer screens all day. Um, yeah, yeah. So- as, of, as of today, like they've limited now gatherings to 15 uh, in Alberta, like one five. Um, just that was the news release that, that I just saw before, um, before starting to talk to you on today, which is actually world theater day. Um, oh, Tov world theater day. <laughs> yeah. So 15, that means um, experimental music shows are still cool, but uh, everyone else has to cancel. <laughs> As long as there's only maybe four artists in them, right? And then the rest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I'm just well, here to roast experimental music. Those guys, those new music avant-gardists <laughs> have had it too good for too long. Down with music concrete. <laughs> um, well, so as, as an individual artist, what does it mean for you financially for this show to shut down? Um, it means that I, I lost you know, um, a month's of a month's worth of rent. Uh, it also means I've lost momentum on the thing, which I was hoping to continue touring and raising its visibility. And I mean, yeah, it, it means something symbolically. It means something else financially. It means, uh, something else socially. Um, I'm not in a financially precarious position because I'm very lucky to have this like teaching job that uh it's it's temporary it's only for the one semester and after that i'm going to be fucked like everyone else but uh i'm i'm very lucky that i that i have a full-time job right now you know january through april that uh makes me not mm, fear for my safety and the safety of my family mm-hmm. but it makes me fear for the safety of um continuity and inertia in the best sense of the term inertia in terms of like movement that is propulsive and onward and continual obviously it's a great opportunity to reflect and reassess but the like the momentum is gone um so it it, it's like sad and hard but not debilitatingly destructive is, is what i'd say Right. Did 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 you have any um, uh, direct impact from any grants that you had received? I had received a grant for the development of the show, not for the production of it. So I that didn't uh, change anything there. I mean, it impacts Larissa, who lost a week's of weeks worth of work. We were going to rehearse it for three days and then perform it for two days in Edmonton. Um, what else? I had a I had a date booked for it too in in New York in May, but that's not happening because the border's closed and I can't I can't go back home. Like we've got an apartment full of stuff. It's so absurdly ironic that I made this show all about like moving and carrying weight and and like physical artifacts, and now like we're stuck in Kelowna or in Canada without any of our things. We have like bare minimum. I have five T-shirts with me and and like. And a bag of books. Uh, something about it to be like lamenting all of my stuff that maybe I will never get back. Like, because what do we do? We keep paying rent on an apartment in New York, or do we do we just like 
burn it all down and say all of our all of our stuff, like our entire life's possessions, can just be scuttled and whatever the landlord will take what they want, and then we'll start anew. And oh no, uh, sorry, I got I got off track. Um, but oh, what? No, but that, but that I mean, maybe it's going to be like another way that the that the show will end. You know, um, just like being mm-hmm. able. To- stuff or something i don't know it'll end up being like 160 minutes long (laughs) (laughs) um so well um what do you think that this means for you going forward as a performer and as an arts educator um what what are the new sorts of directions that you might be thinking about now i'm thinking about writing right now you know everyone's got time myself included even though um parenting and homeschooling is it's not that time flexible, but um, writing is something I'm yearning for now. I like working often with like, um, you know, source text or verbatim text, documentary theater kind of techniques. So I'm thinking a lot about who I want to talk to now in this time where, um, where I can't perform on a stage and I can't, uh, improvise in the way that I like to and so instead it's writing and so I've been turning over the possibility of talking to my mom who's a nurse and is working in direct um, direct medical emergency stuff now and my dad who's a veterinarian he's also an essential service person and uh, is not in the same way in contact with COVID but is still mm-hmm. in that milieu and my brother who just got a job yesterday working at a new emergency shelter that's been opened up in Vancouver to help rehouse COVID positive street folks who don't have Mm. anywhere to be. So it's also an extraordinarily high risk. Just, I have like my, all of my immediate family, like not, not my wife and my kid, but my, my parents and my brother are all um, putting their bodies on the line in a way that is shaking me deeply. To, just to think about, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I keep, keep crying about the, the fears I have for them and, and the fears I have for, for people. Yeah. But I think, yeah. I think a way to work through that is to talk to them. And so I'm thinking a lot about how can I, how can I use that? But then another part of me is like, how dare you exploit this disaster tourism gawking, you know, whatever, like, um, that kind of a thing. Cause I've been accused of that before in my work before I went up to Fort Mac after that devastating fire and wanted to talk to people and make like a show, a dance theater performance about um. destruction and fire. And then the cold after, and people were like, how oh, fucking dare you? You want to like, just like use our pain for your art. And so I'm wondering, is this the same thing? But like, it's not just their pain. It's such, you know, it's, it's, it's my pain too. And it's everyone's pain. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time I felt like, but I'm in Edmonton, I'm in Alberta. Like I'm allowed to talk about, Fort Mac, but to them, I was an outsider. So I wonder if it'll be the same thing. It's like, I'm not, I'm not in the hospitals. I am, I'm at home yeah. I'm staring at a word document. So, but I wanted to ask a little bit also about, um, Folklords cause Folklords, um, uh, has existed online quite successfully, uh, with a, with their sketch show. Is that, is that still happening or is there going to be a yeah. that? big time? We're, we're so close to finishing post-production. We've been editing for the last three months, um, yeah, we shot season two of our political sketch comedy series with my comedy partner, Todd Houseman. We shot it all in Edmonton again. Uh, we shot 21 sketches, which is 
a lot. Uh, we did it like over two weeks. Um, and that's been, we finally got to editing in December. Uh, anyways, we're close. We're very close is all I'm saying. Uh, hopefully by later spring, we'll have some stuff released. Um, but yeah, there's like a hot body of, of work that's about to go. And that's, like you said, has been very successful. We, um, we were able to record or to, to edit it remotely, but you know, the reality is we didn't like create it really remotely. We, um, we had to be in the, we were in the same room when we wrote, that was very um, important to Todd and I, there's like a physical chemistry that exists between us. And even if it's typing words on a computer to be physically present was very, very useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then B we produced, like we shot it, you know, it was these like 18 hour days. Like it was the most unisolated surrounded by people, surrounded by crew, surrounded by actors, uh, two weeks straight of that. So it's impossible to imagine making season three, given the current circumstances, because we, that's not how the rest of it got cooked. Yeah. And if anyone in Edmonton, I know a lot of Edmonton audiences will have seen a folklore show. Um, you both are very physical and like, uh, it's, it's high contact improv that you, that you do with each other too. So, yeah. Um, well, I wanted to ask, um, by finishing up, um, you know, how can people find out more about what you're up to and, and maybe how can they support you in that work too? Um, I just found out today that, um, a short film that I wrote and was, uh, directed by Edmonton fave, Mike Robertson and acted, uh, acted by, uh, Gordy Lucius, who's a rapid fire person. Uh, Bob LaRue who's also an ex rapid fire person was a production assistant on anyways. Um, we made a movie and it's, a horror comedy weed movie because we were working within the specific parameters of Dan Savage's Spliff Film Festival, which is like a weed film fest. And he's been doing Hump Forever, which is like a sex Mm -hmm. film festival. And he wanted to do the same thing for weed because weed was legal in Washington State. And everyone was like, yeah, get high and laugh, man. Um, So we made a a thing and it's like, uh, it's called Munchies Massacre. And it's these like anthropologists Pomorphic um, stop motion puppeted snacks, like real, real snacks, who are being hunted by this stoner demon monster who wants to eat them. But it's like you know, it's a bag of chips and an Oreo are the are the heroes of this story. Um, and it's like a very dumb, very uh, hilarious uh, little horror comedy. And so it got into the film fest, uh, and it had been touring around to city by city, but of course that's shut down. So now what uh, Spliff has done is they put it all online and you can um, pay to watch it. And I, you name your price. I think the lowest is five bucks or 10 bucks or 15 bucks, whatever you can afford to pay. And you get to see the whole program of amazing uh, award-winning films. Uh, so that's a place you can see my shit and the money that you pay into that is distributed back to the artist. So we, we oh, literally be getting cool. a piece of that. Yeah. Like it's not going into Dan Savage's velvet lined coffers. It's, uh, <laughs> it's going to go to my basement dwelling ass. Um, that's a way to support me. Um, check out folklore season one. If you haven't, there's, we've got like 12 sketches on YouTube. They're like, some of them range from just short little absurd, uh, site gags to like full short film kind of odyssey nightmare things. Uh, 
I don't know, if I cave and do Bibliotheca Online, watch it, I guess, or don't. I don't know, it doesn't matter, because I won't feel your energy anyways. Um, I don't know, like, uh, buy an album on Bandcamp. It won't support me directly, but it'll support a friend of mine, probably. Um, Pay for what you're watching online, hopefully, in some ways. Well, you know, Ben, like, that's, you've given us a lot to think on and chew on here. I think we can let you get back to your your toddler there. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us about your experience in this this time of of much upheaval and and craziness. Yeah, my pleasure, Fonda. I'm so delighted to get to talk and connect and, and imagine a future where someone is like listening to me and, and be like, hmm, I also feel that way. So that's nice. That makes me feel less socially isolated to imagine a connection sonically and mentally. So uh, I hope you, uh, you're great and that Edmonton is great and the inside of your tall house is uh, comforting to you in these, in these times. <laughs> Taproot Edmonton is a source of curiosity-driven stories about our city, cultivated by the community. In addition to their weekly roundups on local topics like media, city council, food, music, and arts, now there's a special page on COVID-19 in Edmonton, where the community can ask questions about Edmonton's response to and experience of the pandemic, with a running list of answers curated from reliable sources. You can sign up to become a Taproot member and get more info at taprootedmonton.ca. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by the Well Endowed Podcast, a production of Edmonton Community Foundation. On episode 67, you'll hear about the Macaulay Development Cooperative and how the community banded together to raise $1 million in less than a month to purchase a problem property in their neighborhood. To listen and to find out more about all of Edmonton Community Foundation's projects, visit thewelländowedpodcast.com. All right, everyone. As you know, there's nothing happening uh, live and in person, but there are a number of things that you can watch online. Uh, Malachite Theater is running Shakespeare Sundays. I believe uh, today's is um, Henry the Fourth, Part One. So uh, keep an eye on them every week. Uh, Grindstone recently uploaded the full cut of their uh, fringe musical hit Thundercats. You can watch that. Um, Dynasty is doing their weekly improvised show as a radio hour. That comes out every Monday. And um, interestingly, whiz kid Chase Paget uh, has uploaded something called the Digital Fringe, um, where you can actually pay, um, buy single fringe shows to watch or to rent them. Um, and I know that uh, 2019 um, Edmonton Fringe uh, hits for science and reality cracker on there. And I guess he's going to be adding um, new shows as the weeks go by. Another cool thing that we saw online this week is um, actor Jamie Cavanaugh, uh, who you have previously seen on many stages here in Edmonton from, you know, Free Will Shakespeare to Rapid Fire to Theater Network. Um, he posted his online campaign, which petitions Disney to cast him as the next Wolverine. Um, so if you feel like signing the peti- petition or just helping spread the word and uh, boost that campaign, um, that's, a, that's a really fun thing. Also, just the 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 pitch video is is pretty funny so check it out we will have links um to all of the shows that you can watch online as and all the things we've discussed as well as to um ben gordetsky's works um and his website um thank you again of course to ben for talking to us today um so it's a couple days late now but happy world theater day everyone uh go see some shows from the safety of your home
online. And if you can, if it's available to you, send those artists a donation when you watch their stuff. They sure could use it. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenoff.